certainly want to welcome everyone to our services this morning. Uh, good to, glad to see all those of you who are here. And for those who are wa watching at home or in other places, uh, we're glad that you're with us in our worship service today. Uh, Doug and Karen are not sick, but they have potentially been exposed to COVID-19. So just to be on the safe side, uh, they are worshiping with us virtually from their home. They're simply staying home for the safety of the congregation. Uh, let me assure you, they would really like to be here. I talked to Doug about 10:15 this morning, and uh, they're both feeling fine, and it's just uh, almost killing them to not be here. But uh, they want to protect the congregation, and so just to be safe, uh, they're staying home today. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Jude, the book of Jude, next to the last book of the Bible. Our text this morning is Jude, verse 3, the third verse of this short book of Jude. Jude writes, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude begins this verse with the one word, beloved. The writers of the New Testament use the word beloved over 60 times. That includes eight times in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, eight times by Peter in his writings, about 30 times by the Apostle Paul. And Jude used the word three times in this short letter, John, although he did not use the word in his gospel account, he used the word nine times in 1 John and 3 John. Beloved, Jesus taught his disciples to love one another. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the early Christians did love one another. And they were certainly not afraid to express that love. Christians today should love one another. In 1 John 4 and verse 7, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. We should never be ashamed to express our love and appreciation for one another in a proper way. A loving church is a happy and prosperous church. It's the church just as God would have it to be. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, Peter writes, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through their spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. In John chapter 15 and verse 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Those who love share emotions. In Romans 12 and verse 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep 
with those who weep. Christians readily and anxiously bear the burdens of others, knowing that in so doing they are fulfilling the law of Christ. Paul wrote in Galatians 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, we should never be embarrassed to express our love and affection for each other. When we look at the life of Christ, everything about his life was a living demonstration of love. At the grave of Lazarus, the shortest verse of the Bible, John 11 and verse 35, says Jesus wept. And the next verse says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. When people look at us as Christians, they ought to say, see how they love one another. In John 15 and verse 9, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. The Lord's death was his greatest demonstration of his boundless love for us. He died in our place so that we might live. In Romans 5 and verse 8, Paul writes, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we follow the example of Christ, then we will be willing to, to die for one another. In John 15 and verse 13, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. John wrote in 1 John 3 and verse 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Peter admonished in 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. A religion that makes a person feel like he, he wants to kill somebody else is certainly not a religion of Jesus Christ. In our text, in Jude verse 3, Jude says that he was very diligent to write. Jude was about to write to the brethren concerning the common salvation. It seems as though he was planning on, write on this sub writing on this subject for quite some time. But a more urgent and pressing problem came up. False teachers crept in unnoticed, verse 4, spreading their deceptive doctrines. And so the letter became more of a treatise on that problem. False teachers beware seems to be the new theme with which he deals. This letter is a, a rebuke for all of those in every age who would try to change God's word in any way. And I think it's significant that as Jude contemplated this treatise on common salvation, 
He approached that task diligently. He was writing in reference to a matter that involved our eternal destiny, the salvation of souls. These are eternal issues that he's dealing with. No wonder he did it with diligence. And we should be the same way. When we go about to undertake any task for Christ, whatever it is, we should do it diligently. Romans 12 and verse 11 says that Christians are not to lag in diligence. Anything that a Christian does should be approached with diligence and enthusiasm. We ought to always do our very best at whatever we're trying to do. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7, Paul says that we are to abound in several different things, including in diligence. Abound in all diligence. So any task, regardless of how seemingly in, in, in unimportant it is, any task that we get involved in, we should do it diligently. But more especially should we be diligent when we're about to write or speak on eternal spiritual matters. Especially in matters like these, like Jude, we must be very diligent. Consider the fact that Jude was guided by the Holy Spirit when he wrote. Jude was inspired when he wrote. In spite of that, he had to give all diligence to the work that he was doing. How much more imperative for us who are not inspired to be diligent in the things that we do. In our text, we learn that Jude had planned to write to the brethren about a very important thing. He planned to write about common salvation. Salvation is important. Salvation is important to all of us, whether it's through the work of a doctor that uh, uses his talents and abilities to, to save someone's life who's about to die, or whether it may be a fireman who takes a small infant out of a burning building and saves that infant's life. Salvation is always important. It's always a wonderful thing to hear about salvation. What is this common salvation concerning which Jude longed to write? First, we need to understand the word common. The word common refers to something that is shared by many. Common means that it's not unique to an individual or to just a few individuals. Consider what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 in verse 13. He said, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Paul is telling us that God will not allow Satan to tempt us in a unique way. Whenever we're tempted, it's going to be a common temptation. It's going to be something that all people will experience. It's not going to be unique to us it's going to be a common temptation. Also, the abundant gifts that God gives us in, our na in this natural world are common blessings. Everyone can enjoy 
the sweet-smelling flowers, the beautiful hills with green grass on them, the shade that we get from trees, the light of the sun and the moon, the water that we drink, the air that we, that we breathe, all of these things are common blessings for all of us. It doesn't matter how much money we make, it doesn't matter where we live, what color our skin, these are all common blessings that we can all enjoy. In Matthew 5 and verse 45, Jesus said God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so it's in that sense that Jude is talking about when he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. This is a salvation promised to all who are willing to obey the commands of God. That salvation was procured for all of us when Jesus died on the cross. In Matthew 28 in verse, or 26 in verse 28, Jesus said, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That salvation is available to anyone and everyone who is willing to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. Jesus made it abundantly clear that this salvation is for everyone, not just a select few, but, but for everyone. In Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, th go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a common salvation extended to all nations, not just America, and in those days, not just to the Jews. Even Peter, who preached the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost, did not understand that it was a common salvation for all at that time. It was not until later in Acts chapter 10 at the household of Cornelius that Peter said in Acts 10, verses 34 and 35, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Thank God that salvation is offered to the entire race. But there's even more evidence of this. In Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9, the writer says concerning Jesus, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This is the salvation that Jude is writing about when he said he was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. But Jude goes on to say, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting 
you. Jude says it was necessary. Of course it must have been, or else the Holy Spirit would not have guided him in writing these words. But consider the implications. Christianity was still in its early pioneer days. Some of the people to whom he was writing were people who had been with Jesus while he was here on this earth. They had watched him perform miracles, such as causing the blind to see, enabling the deaf to hear, giving instant walking and leaping ability to those who had been lame, instantly calming a raging sea and stormy winds, healing all kinds of diseases, and even raising the dead. But even those people who had seen Jesus do those miraculous things were sometimes careless, sometimes indifferent, sometimes lukewarm, sometimes even completely cold. They needed to be exhorted. You know human nature has changed very little. There are many today who need to be exhorted. We need to be exhorted and encouraged to spend several hours each day studying the Bible personally. We need to take advantage of Bible classes. Sermon after sermon must be heard. Prayers must be a vital part of our daily lives. Preachers must exhort if we're going to have strong churches that are filled with dynamic, zealous Christians. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Well, what was the purpose of Jude's exhortation? Jude exhorted them to contend earnestly for the faith. That word contend means to strive or to struggle. Our English word contend is not strong enough to convey the intensive force of the Greek word. And so that the translators added the word earnestly. Contend earnestly for the faith. And this suggests that there is something that is urgent something that is very important. Now, most Americans today would not, would be very surprised to learn that this passage is in the Bible. Satan has convinced the majority of us, the majority of Americans, to think that it's politically incorrect to contend about religion. And yet this is a command of God. God commands us to contend earnestly for the faith. In Philippians 1 and verse 27, Paul says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Contend earnestly for the faith. Now we're to always speak the truth in love. 
Ephesians 4 and verse 15. We can contend earnestly without being unkind. A good mother who has a rebellious son will plead earnestly for that son to straighten up, live the way that he ought to live. But she will do so with very sincere love and kindness. That's the way we need to contend for the faith. And that is the thing that we're to contend for. Again, in Jude 3, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The word faith there refers to all the complete word of God. We must embrace all of God's word, not just parts of it, but all of it. When Jesus was here on the earth, three and a half years he taught his disciples. Then in John 16, verses 12 and 13, he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And so the apostles were guided into all the truth, and they wrote it down for us, and we have it here in the pages of the Bible. The truth was given completely one time for all time. There will never be further revelation from God to man. We have the complete revelation of God. God's complete will is given to us in the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Since all scripture is given by inspiration of God, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We don't need anything else. We cannot have anything else religiously. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3 says, His divine power has, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Why are we to contend earnestly for the faith? It's because it is God's power to save us. Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Only God's word can save us. Nothing else can. John 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Where we're told in John 17 and verse 17 that God's word is truth. So only God's word can set us free from sin. Nothing else can save us. And therefore, we must not change God's truth in any way. We must contend earnestly for the faith that was delivered once for all. Turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. These are very, very important scriptures. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8, 
and 9. Paul says, but even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Then turn to 2 John verses 9 through 11, just a page before Jude. 2 John verses 9 through 11. John writes, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Any person who brings something other than what the Bible says is to be accursed, Galatians 1, 8 and 9. They're doing things that are evil, 2 John, verses 9 through 11. And then look the last chapter of Revelation, Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. John writes, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Friend, that's why we must contend earnestly for the faith. We cannot, we must not compromise God's word in any way. We must teach it in love, out of genuine concern for those that we're teaching. We cannot compromise the truth. Everyone contends for something. For what are you contending today? Some people are contending for more land. Some people are contending for bigger houses. Some are contending for larger bank accounts. Most people are contending for something that's purely physical, material. Supreme folly of many modern Americans seems to be that they spend their entire lifetime trying to make a lot of money, trying to attain wealth at the expense of health, at the expense of family and companionship, burning the candle at both ends simply to accumulate wealth. And then when they find that their health is ruined, they will spend all of that wealth that they have accumulated in an attempt to heal their wrecked bodies. How futile is that? There's something so much more important 
And that is the faith. The word of God. The one and only thing that can save us from our past sins. Matthew 16 and verse 26. Jesus asked, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? A person will give up all of his wealth, everything he has, try to live longer. But it doesn't work. We're going to leave this body. We're going to leave this earth. But our soul is going to live eternally somewhere. How much is your soul worth? Because of the value of your soul. You should contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. You should be willing to obey it. If you're not exactly sure how to do that, please contact us. Please let us help you. We'll show you from your Bible in God's Word what you need to do to have your soul prepared for eternity. Maybe this morning you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe this morning you need the prayers of the church. We would be more than happy to assist you baptizing you into Christ for the remission of sins. Or praying for strength that you might be a stronger Christian. If you're not here but you need that kind of help, please contact us as soon as possible. We would love to help you. If you're here this morning and we can help, we encourage you to come now while we stand and as we sing.